So we're looking at John chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 7 today. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of the, those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you'll always have with me, but you do not, uh, you do not always have me. So a couple years ago, uh, I wanted a watch for Christmas. I didn't have a wristwatch to wear to like, you know, when I do weddings and things like that. So I wanted a watch. And so I was trying to think what kind of watch would I want. So I did a Google search and kind of was looking at different watches. Didn't find exactly what I was looking for. And then I typed in something like, I think I might have typed in orange watch. Uh, one of my favorite colors is orange. And I look on the Google image search and I see this. It's called, it was called an Omega Seamaster watch. It was this deep blue, and it had these orange accents. Really loved the way it looked. So I click on it, and it's got this nice band. And not only did I like the way that it looked, they talked about you know, the mechanism of how it works and how it's water-resistant and all of this stuff. And I'm like, this is the one I want. This is a cool-looking watch. Then I scroll down to look at the price, and it was over $6,000. Over $6,000, you can either have a used car or something to go on your wrist. And this led to a couple different questions. First of all, what makes a watch worth $6,000? I mean, it wasn't even made of gold or anything like that. It, I have no idea why it was $6,000. Second, who can afford to buy a $6,000 watch? Needless to say, I didn't get that watch for Christmas. There's things like that at Seems a little bit over the top. Seems a little bit extravagant. There's a lot of other things in life that are like that. Uh, for example, there's a man in Malaysia who owns a yacht. It's one of the most expensive yachts in the world. Uh, it's made of pure gold. It has a meteorite wall in the bedroom. Uh, it has T-Rex statues. And uh, there's a bunch of other stuff. They say that it, there's a 24-carat gold um, panoramic wall aquarium, a liquor bottle with an 18.5 carat diamond worth $4.5 billion. Seems a little bit over the top. Seems a little bit unnecessary. Uh, my father-in-law loves cars, and he was telling me about this one car called a Bugatti Viron. I don't know if I said that correct, uh, correctly. But apparently it cost $21,000 for an oil change for that car. $21,000, much more than my car even cost to buy. What causes uh, an oil change to be worth $21,000? There's a Japanese sushi tycoon who a couple years ago, 2019, paid $3.1 million for a bluefin tuna. $3.1 million for a fish. Seems a little bit over the top. Seems a little bit extravagant. Extravagance is defined 
by the dictionary as lacking restraint in spending money or using resources, costing too much money, exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate or absurd. So my son, Paul, has, uh, he's just about a year and a half, and he has very severe eczema. And so we always have to put different creams on him and stuff. And I'm always amazed at how expensive these creams are. And uh, this is actually prescription cream. But if you go to the store, you know, you'll buy a tub like this. It's uh, about a pound. And it will be, you know, $15, $20, sometimes even more than that. I'm like, that's a lot of money for an ointment like this. But imagine you had something like this about the same size that was $31,000. $31,000 for an ointment, about a pound, that you could use in a couple of weeks or even less that's completely dispensable. When we're talking about the ointment that this woman Mary in this passage used, that's about the equivalent of what it would have cost. It's described in this passage as being pure, it's described as being very expensive. It was probably expensive because it was uh, imported from northern India. And, of course, they didn't have trade like we do today. And so it would have been very expensive. Judas says that it could have been sold for 300 denarii. Uh, denarii was about the average daily worker's wage. They didn't work on the Sabbath or on holy days. So it was about a year's wage that this would have cost and you translate that to about the average income in North Tonawanda, and you're at about $31,000 for a tub of ointment this big. We don't know how Mary got this tub of ointment. We don't know, was she very wealthy? It's possible. Or it, probably a little bit more likely, this was a family heirloom. Perhaps her mother or grandmother had given, to, given it to her. And it was something that had been going through the family for several years. And we see in this passage that Mary takes this ointment and puts it on Jesus' feet. And this would have been a very extravagant thing to do, to spend a $31,000 ointment just to put on Jesus' feet. It would have ex seemed extravagant. Going back to that definition, it would have seemed to cost too much money, exceed what is reasonable or appropriate, even to be absurd. And in this passage, we only see that, G that Judas is the one who objects to this. In Mark's gospel, it says that other disciples objected as well. Now, we know that Judas didn't have the best of motives. He didn't really care about the poor. He only cared about himself. But he had a point, nevertheless. I mean, when we think about things that are extravagant, a $4.5 billion yacht, a $3.1 million fish, a $6,000 watch, oftentimes when we think about those things, we think, how much good could be done with that money? I mean, how many poor people could be fed with $4.5 billion? And so we think about those things. It's only natural to think those things when we see something extravagant. And that's what Jesus' disciples, and Judas in particular, bring up as an argument. And really, they have a point. I mean, it might it, under normal circumstances, it might have been better to sell this ointment and give it to the poor. But there's some instances where it kind of makes sense to be extravagant. There's some situations in life where it's acceptable, maybe even appropriate or ex expected, that we would do things that are extravagant. You think about the first one. first one I can think of is love. 
You have a man falls in love with a woman and he'll do things that are extravagant. You come up to the wedding day and they're thinking about getting married and then what does the man do? He goes to the jewelry store and he buys something that by nature is extravagant. Now, you know, the budget could be different. It could be a $100 ring. It could be a $100,000 ring. But whatever it is, you're paying a, quite a bit of money for a piece of metal and a rock. It's extravagant. It's something that's not needed, but it's appropriate because it's a special occasion. And it signifies deep, lasting love. Likewise, you know, people will go out for, uh, you know, maybe an anniversary and they'll go out to uh, go on a big lavish vacation to celebrate a milestone anniversary or they'll go out to dinner and you know pay ten dollars for a side of corn that you could buy for 59 cents at Aldi's pay way too much for food but it's appropriate and accepted because it's a big occasion it's a big deal it's a time of celebration so that's the first instance that I can think of when it's appropriate to be extravagant. The second is death. When you think about when someone dies, there's so many expenses that have to be incurred. And, uh, you know, you have to, you know, either the burial or the cremation, you have either an urn uh, or a, a coffin, you have the expenses at the funeral home, you might have to pay hundreds of dollars for flowers that are going to wilt just a couple days later. And nobody really thinks too much about that. Nobody thinks of that as being extravagant because it's a significant thing that happens. And oftentimes even kind of charlatans will try to take advantage of people in that state because like money doesn't matter anymore. So you think about those two different instances where uh, it's appropriate, maybe even expected to be extravagant. And I think those two instances occur in this passage. The first is love. Now, we think about the story, and in its own, if we just read this, this, these uh, eight verses, we might not see the context of what has happened. A couple weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 11, and just to recap what happened in John chapter 11, uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus is very sick, and they call to Jesus where he is in a different town, and they tell him, your friend is sick, and uh, Jesus doesn't go there right away. And then Lazarus ends up dying. Then he goes to Bethany where Lazarus was. And Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. And by this time, Lazarus has died. And Mary and Martha come up to Jesus and they say, If only you had been here, our brother would still be alive. They're overcome with grief, overcome with emotion. And we see that in this passage in John chapter 11 that Jesus weeps with them. One of the most profound things in all of the Bible is that the Son of God weeps with his friends. He cries because of the pain that sin and death has caused. He's angry at the, the, the pain that it's caused. He identifies with them. Then he declares himself to be the resurrection and the life. And then he goes and raises Lazarus from the grave. And so Jesus has given Mary an incredible gift in that her brother was dead and now he's alive again. But there's more to the story even than that. It says in the book of Matthew that this event occurred at the home of Simon the leper. Now, if he still had leprosy, he probably wouldn't be throwing a party. People who had leprosy in that day and age were kind of ostracized from the community. They were separated, put in their own uh, kind of quarantine. 
And so most likely it was Jesus who had healed Simon the leper. And so now you have a dead man. There's a party for a dead man who's now alive, thrown by a person who was sick and an outcast who's now brought back into community. And that's not even to mention what God has done through Jesus in Mary's own life. We don't know what her background is. We don't know what God saved her from, and yet she's now a follower of Jesus. And you can understand why there would be such intense love that Mary would have for Jesus, because Jesus has given her her brother back. Jesus has healed the outcast. Perhaps Jesus has even healed her in an extraordinary way. But there's even more to it than that. We don't, we'd like to know kind of the psychology of what was going through Mary's mind at this time. We'd like to know how much she knew. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus is on the road to Golgotha. He's about to sacrifice himself for Mary and Martha and the whole world. And in, this, in the ancient world, it was actually appropriate and expected that when a person died, that they would be anointed. That ointment, expensive ointments and perfumes would be put on their body so they didn't stink. And so here Mary is, and Jesus says that she's anointing my body for burial. Perhaps she knows what's about to happen. And so she puts this ointment on the feet of Jesus, maybe knowing, maybe we don't, maybe she didn't know, but Jesus is about to go and die on the cross for her. So it's understandable why she would experience such love. It's understandable why she would have such a response, because she's overcome with love. And I think in this passage, we can learn that an extravagant gift evokes extravagant love. An extravagant gift evokes extravagant love. Mary is so overwhelmed by this gift or gifts that Jesus has given her that she will do anything to show Jesus love. So she's overwhelmed, but she's not the only one in the story. Mary is overwhelmed, but her sister is only mentioned in a, short, uh, in a, in a little snippet here. Martha, it says in the text, served. Now, on the surface, this wouldn't you know, be anything. We'd just pass over this. But Martha had a kind of a tendency to be busy. Remember back in Luke chapter 10, uh, one of the first times that Jesus met Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus comes into their home, and Martha is running around trying to get food ready, trying to make sure everybody's fed and everybody's happy. And she's doing all of these different things, and then Martha's sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to what he has to say. Martha gets angry, comes to Jesus, says, Hey, my sister Mary, she's just sitting there, and I'm doing all this work. Can you tell her to come help me? And Jesus says, she's chosen the better thing. In this passage, again, we find Martha serving. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha, it seems, has this tendency to be busy. She's grateful for Jesus. I'm sure she's happy for what Jesus did, but she had the things to do. She had a party to throw. She had people to feed. In short, Martha is distracted. She's distracted from the gift. And I think that's a place that we sometimes find ourselves. You know, we have an affection for Jesus. 
Maybe we cognitively assent to the truths of the gospel, but we're too busy. We're too busy. We're busy with our work. We're busy with our hobbies, busy with our family. And it seems like the things of God just kind of be, get put on the back burner. And maybe we have the intentions to spend time with God and do the things God calls us to do, but we just never seem to have the time. There's an old Italian legend about a woman named Befana who lived on the dusty road that led to Bethlehem. And it was said that she uh, was a meticulous housekeeper. She kept her home spotless. You could literally uh, eat off the floor. One day, the wise men came to her, knocked on the door. She opened the door, and as she opened the door, dust from the road blew into her house. The wise men came into her home, and she offered them some food, offered them something to drink, but they made a mess in the process. Then they asked her, would you like to come with us to see the one who is born king of kings and lord of lords? And they said, we're following the star to see this baby. She said, I'd love to, but there's so much to do. I have to clean the house. I have to get all of this dust out of the house. Maybe sometime later, I'll go to see the baby. So she cleans the house up and down. She, vac or she sweeps out the floor. She puts everything in order. Then she makes this little doll made out of straw to go to give to the baby Jesus. So she goes and leaves her home, starts following the star, and then she sees that clouds come and cover the star. Pretty soon rain comes and falls upon her and destroys the little doll. She keeps going, hoping to see that star, but she eventually gives up because she can't see the direction of where she should go. She said, I'm a foolish old woman. I miss my chance to worship the newborn prince of peace. Perhaps I will find him someday. So the legend is that each year she sets out with a bag of toys, leaving some at every house where there's a child in hopes one of them might be the child that she missed. I think we can do something similar. We can get so busy that we forget what's truly important. We get so distracted that we miss the gift of what God has given us. We give the, miss the blessings of what he's provided for us. We miss living in the moments that God gives us. We'd like to pray, but we have things to do. We'd like to serve, but we can't find the time. We'd like to read or listen to God's word, but where can we find the energy? Mary is overwhelmed. Martha is distracted. A third character in the story is Judas, and Judas is annoyed. Judas is annoyed that Mary would use such a expensive ointment on Jesus. Judas hoped that Mary would give that to the, the common treasury, that that would be sold, and then he could kind of help himself to the proceeds. It says in the text he was a thief. And see, what happens is that J Judas only cares about following Jesus to the extent that it helps him. He only cares about following Jesus to the extent that it will benefit him. And what's interesting is he goes to Jesus. He says, you know, this is such a waste. We should just sell this, put it in the, the coffers, give it to the poor. And Jesus, you know, doesn't buy that. He says that this woman has actually done a beautiful thing in, in the other Gospels. It says that. And so after that, Judas is done. In, in the book of Matthew, Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, it says that right after this, he goes and he betrays Jesus. 
because he was only interested in what Jesus could give him. And as soon as he felt like that gravy train ran out, he moved to somebody else. He moved to the Pharisees because he thought, they're going to give me some money if I betray Jesus. And so maybe this is kind of the catalytic event for him that makes him uh, turn from Jesus because Jesus can't offer him anything anymore. That there's more benefit from going to the Pharisees than from following Jesus because he's not interested in a relationship with Jesus. He's only interested in Jesus' stuff. Judas, of course, is an extreme example. And none of us would, you know, do something like that, or, or maybe we wouldn't think that we would do something like that. But I think in subtle ways we can do something similar. Maybe we've had some exposure to church or Christianity. We've come to church and done spiritual things, and we do these things because we hope, well, if I do this, if I come to church, maybe my marriage will improve. Or if I give, then maybe uh, God will bless me financially. Or if I help somebody else, if I do a good deed, then maybe I'll have good health. And then maybe for some of us, maybe those things do happen. And then we're just kind of following him, following Jesus, hoping that he'll give us more good stuff. But for others of us, maybe life is turned in a different direction. Maybe those things kind of haven't worked out. And when they haven't worked out, we think to ourselves, so what's this all about? I mean, what am I doing here? If I'm, I'm doing all these good things and God isn't blessing me, I don't know why I'm following him, and maybe then we check out. Because we're not interested in the relationship as much as we are in what Jesus can give us. Essentially, sometimes I think we can use God for our own purposes rather than following after him and allowing him to change us. When we first started the church, I had this guy that kind of befriended me from a different ministry, and uh, he was a very nice person, and he was very available. Uh, I talked to him, available by text message, and uh, he took me out for lunch, prayed with me, talked about how uh, he wanted to help start the church, and just seemed really invested in me. But what I found out over the course of time was that he wasn't really so much invested in me or the church. He wanted to sell me something. And so he was really nice, really available. And then I told him that the thing that he was selling, you know, it wasn't bad. It just didn't fit what we were doing here. And I told him that. And then all of a sudden he was gone. So there was an availability. Had no interest in being part of the church. Had no interest in praying with me anymore. It was just he was gone. Because he was interested in what I could offer him, what I, what I could sign up for rather than a relationship with me. And I think that we can sometimes do the same thing. And I remember feeling like after that, I just kind of felt, I don't know, just felt bad I just, because I thought he was someone who cared. I thought he was someone who was invested. And I wonder how God feels if we're only interested in his stuff. Yes, God blesses us. God often gives us blessing. But he wants our hearts. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to know us. And he wants us to know him. So the question I have for us, to, just to consider for a moment today, is where are you in this story? What is your response to the gift of God? 
John Ortberg shares a story that kind of illustrates the great gift that God has given us. He shares it in his, story, in his book, Everybody's Normal, to get to know them. He tells of a young man whose name was John Gilbert. At the age of five, Gilbert was diagnosed with a very severe debilitating disease called Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. It's a very progressive debilitating disease, and uh, each year he would just kind of lose a little bit more of himself. That uh, started with his losing the ability to run around and play sports. You know, the next time it was, you know, he wasn't able to even walk in a straight line. You know, eventually he got to the point where he couldn't even talk. And of course, he, you know, he went to school and the kids were merciless. They didn't understand what was happening. They just saw him as different, and so they, they treated him terribly. He brought a, a service dog to school, and they made fun of him for bringing that service dog to school. And so he experienced a lot of rejection. But one day, as a child, he was invited to an NFL auction. And he goes to this auction, and there's these really wealthy, some, some people might have been, even been famous who were there, and there's all these things that are about to be auctioned off. And he goes and he looks through all of these things and he finds this basketball that was signed by all the uh, Sacramento Kings basketball team. And he wanted that basketball so badly. And so the time comes for that basketball to be auctioned off. And his mother is sitting there with him and he just keeps raising his hand, raising his hand because he wants that basketball so bad. His mom just keeps pulling his hand down, pulling his hand down. His parents didn't, couldn't afford something like that. And so the bidding goes on and goes on and it gets to a point where it's, you know, an exorbitant price. Uh, way more than the ball is actually worth because people are just, you know, doing it for charity or whatnot. And then this person bids on it with this just extravagant, crazy offer that's just out of nowhere that nobody else could even think about matching. The auctioneer says, sold. The man comes down and comes to the table. He grabs the basketball. Rather than going back to his seat, he comes and he puts it in the hands of little John Gilbert. Hands who would never be able to earn a basketball like that. Who would never be able to even dribble a basketball. But who would cherish that basketball forever. And I think that's a picture of what God has done for us in Christ. He's offered us an extravagant gift. A gift that we could never earn. Something that we could never uh, earn on our own. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve to spend forever separated from God, but God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we could experience abundant life. Not so that God could take things from us, so that we could experience life as it was meant to be lived, life in a relationship with Him. What an incredible gift that is. What an extravagant gift that is. And when we get a glimpse of all that Jesus has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us, it ought to overwhelm our hearts. And as it overwhelms our hearts, it ought to evoke love in our hearts. Love for God, love for other people. Because when we understand the gift of what God has done for us in Jesus and what he's doing, nothing else matters. All right, Jesus, you want my time? You got it. All right, Jesus, you want my money? You got it. All right, Jesus, you want me to do this? You've got it. And it's not to earn anything. 
not because we feel guilty. It's because we've been changed. It's because we've experienced such a great gift. The text tells us that after this act of love, after Mary uh, poured out this ointment on Jesus' feet, it says that the fragrance went through the whole house. And Jesus says elsewhere in another gospel when he talks about this, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 13, he says this, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. When we experience a great gift, when we're overwhelmed by that gift and love God and love those around us, the aroma of grace fills our life. And it's something that the world looks on. says, there's something different. There's a love that I've never experienced before. An extravagant gift evokes extravagant love. So where are you today? Do you love Jesus, but you're distracted? Do you assent to the things of God? Maybe you'd even call yourself a Christian, but you just kind of neglected those things. They've been on the back burner rather than allowing Jesus to be your first love. Maybe there's some who, maybe we're a little bit annoyed, maybe a little bit like Judas. Maybe we started off trying to follow Jesus and life kind of gave us a bad hand and maybe we've been angry. We feel like Jesus doesn't have anything to offer us anymore. So we've been trying to do life on our own. Others of us, maybe we are overwhelmed by God's extravagant gift of his son. And if we're not, that we need to return to the gospel, return and remember what Jesus has done for us and allow it to transform us. Let's pray together. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if there's anybody here, maybe you fall into one of the first two camps. Maybe you got distracted by the things of this life. Maybe you feel like you've always been trying to See what Jesus could give to you. Trying to get Jesus to change your circumstances rather than having a relationship with him. If that's you and you'd like to enter into a relationship with Jesus today, I just invite you to say a prayer after me. Just in your heart, just silently. It's not a magical prayer. Sometimes I even uh, hesitant to, to offer a prayer like this. It's just an expression of your heart and a commitment to God. Say, God, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. Maybe if that's you, say something like this in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't save myself. But I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you can give me life the way that life was meant to be lived. Jesus, I don't want to do life my own way anymore. Jesus, please come into my life and change me. I want to follow you. For the rest of us, maybe we're believers and we love Jesus. We've just been distracted. We've just been focused on other things. We've forgotten our first love. Maybe we return. Maybe we repent today. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for giving us the ultimate gift, a gift that we could never earn. 
We thank you for sacrificing yourself for us so that we might experience life, so that the grave would not be our end, so that we could experience forever with you. Lord, help us to never move on from your gospel. Help us to always be overwhelmed by your love for us. And as we're overwhelmed by your love and sacrifice, I pray that that would just spill over into the other areas of our lives. That it would cause us not only to love you, but to love our families well, to love our neighbors well, to love those around us, to love the poor, to love the orphan, to love all of those who are in need of love in our community, Lord. Give us your grace to do that. Help us to see you as you truly are. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.